Between our first and our last breath, our life is a series of seasons. Every high and low is a season that shapes us. When the pandemic started, we were two months into a completely new season of our life with a new baby, learning how to function as a family of six, navigating care for our son who had recently been diagnosed with special needs, adjusting to having two full-time working parents, the list goes on and on. While these adjustments were all expected, planned for, doing it all during a pandemic was not. Like most others, we faced huge changes in our day-to-day life, such as working from home, distance learning, quarantining. One thing that came even more unexpected than the pandemic itself was the conflict that would unfold over the year to come. We thought this would be a joyful time in our life, bringing our last baby home to be surrounded by our friends and family. But it quickly turned into an extremely isolating season of conflict and hurt. When the pandemic hit, we felt anxious. And with so much unknown, we followed the suggested precautions and regulations very closely. As the weeks went on, we decided that when our family felt more comfortable, we would choose each other. We had a new baby and we wanted them and him to be able to experience life together. And to be honest, in this season of life, we were lacking the help and support a family provides. What we did not expect is that they wouldn't choose us. After four months of strict quarantining, we decided that if we couldn't get the support and care that we needed both physically and emotionally, we would start safely going back to church. This, in turn, led our family to further distance themselves from us. Months went by and the distance grew. The silence became loud and we missed them greatly. We tried to push aside assumptions, judgment, and comments about our choices on how to school our children, attend church, and interact with others in hopes that again, when they were ready, we'd find time to spend together. With the fall and winter holidays approaching, we quarantined again to ensure everyone was safe and felt comfortable to spend the holidays together. After Christmas passed, it seemed as though the distance grew greater. We could feel the tension building, and after our baby's first birthday came and went without any recognition from our family, we worried we'd done something wrong. We continued to make an effort to see one another, even if it was masked and distanced, continually advocating for time together, especially around birthdays and other holidays. But despite our efforts, it didn't seem to change their feelings. We continued to see and hear of the trips that they were taking, occasions they were attending, and wondered, why not with us? After over a year of tension building, we felt called to ask more questions. We felt called to mend what seemed to be a failing relationship, and we reached out. It was hard, but it felt so necessary. We were met with half-truths and a refusal to talk about what was really going on. Hurtful words were said, and our well-intended efforts for gathering were turned against us, and blame was pushed all with a narrative of safety. Our faith and call to gather were thrown in our face, and our choices were deemed unsafe, dangerous, and far too risky. We've spent the last five months without resolution, and our efforts to talk through this have only been met with silence. We've prayed daily for Jesus to lead us to resolve in this season of conflict, to stir something in our family's hearts, and for this relationship to come out more whole and more filled with love than it had before. Until that happens, we continuously praise Him for blessing us with a church community who reminds us that we are not alone. A community that is our family when it feels like we don't have one, who pours into our children and the brothers and sisters in Christ who continually point us back to Jesus when we are feeling alone, unloved, or not enough. Hey, you guys excited about to talk about conflict today? 
Oh, see, that was better than your Merry Christmas greeting. Yeah, that's pretty good. We're, okay, uh, open your Bibles, Romans chapter 13, and uh, we're going to get some context here. And Paul is writing this letter, and this is what he says, Romans 13, starting in verse 8, he says, No, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he refers to these Old Testament commandments. He says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment, they're summed up in, in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. So, so what is the call of these crucial relationships? What's the call of marriage? What's, what's, what, what's at the center? It, it's love, am I right? That, that, that's the call of marriage. What about, what about family? It's, it's love. What, what about friendship, coworkers, church, neighbors? All of it is love. You fulfill God's purpose and call for your relationships if you are loving those around you. And so this, what Paul is saying, there should just be no conflict, right? And there won't be conflict if you would just love one another. Let's pray, you guys. All right. No, right? Like, it exists, doesn't it? It's there. Some of you guys are like, what just happened? Oh, my goodness. Okay. And I'm going to prepare you. Like, that's just a little, like, you guys, everybody in this room is going to hate me by the time this sermon is over. But don't get mad at me. Get mad at Paul, okay? He's the one who wrote it. I'm just, like, speaking to you. But Paul, he's a realist. He under, so this is the context, is he's saying, no, 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 we need to love one another. But then in the very next section of his teaching, he brings up this conflict that's happening, and he explains it. And so that's what we're going we're gonna to look at today. We're going to expound on and explore his teaching on conflict and say, hey, when we're in a season of conflict, when we're, we're, when we're experiencing tension, how do we walk through these in a way that gives, that gives God glory, that, that actually allows love to be present, okay? And, and here's what we're seeing. There, there's a source of conflict. And, and, and it starts with this idea, this is the root, is there's a degree, disagreement over an issue. And, it, and it's simple, right? We see things differently. We disagree how to move forward. We have conflicting desires for our relationship or, or how we should operate as a family or how you should operate as an individual. And this is common right now, right? Like, are, are we seeing disagreement over issues? Things like mask wearing and vaccines and politics, how schools and churches should gather, businesses, how they should operate. And here's the thing. What do we do with disagreements and what do we do with conflict? We avoid that like a plague, do, am I right? Like sweep that under the rug. Like, hey, you know, okay, l listen, we're, we're going to my family's house this week for Christmas. We're not bringing this up. This is not, this is not gonna be talked about. We're gonna smile. We're gonna give each other socks and we're gonna love each other and then we're gonna get out of there as soon as we can, right? He, right, okay, but here's the problem. Unaddressed and undealt with and, un and, and conflict that is not faced in a healthy way, it, it festers into relational disconnect. See, it starts as an idea. It starts as a disagreement over an issue, but it almost always moves to an offense of a person. We, we attack the person's, no, it, it's from we see things differently to you see things wrong, therefore 
This is what our relationship's gonna look like. Therefore, here's what I'm gonna say. And so we are either offended or we are the offender. We are hurt by something that someone has done or said. Uh, we, we let the other person down. We, are, we have unreasonable expectations, or so do they. There's selfishness in behavior or interactions, poor communication, resentment, criticism. See, this is where conflict comes from. It, it starts around a disagreement over an idea or an issue, and it moves towards an offense of a person. And, and we look at our current climate. You, you guys, it's the perfect breeding ground for conflict. Am I right? Here's why. First, we're all in unfamiliar waters. Like, like we have not navigated this before. I mean, unless you're like Grandma Nana and you're 110, you know, 110 years old, and you're like, this is my second plague. Like, okay, you barely remember the first one, Nana, okay? So this is our, all of us. If you are 110 years old and your name is Nana, I would like to apologize personally. <laughs> I will love to give you a hug in the lobby and a Christmas gift, and you can meet Jordan. He's, he's really nice. Uh, second, our emotions are heightened. Uh, there's frustration and there, there's fatigue. Do you find yourself, like your emotions are being heightened in a different sense right now? Or you look around, you see that. So we're, we're in unfamiliar waters. Our emotions are heightened and we're disconnected. We're, we're seeing uh, these relationships fewer and further between. I had a key relationship in my life and I was like, man, I have not seen this person for two years now. Like, it, it's crazy, the level of disconnect. And so how, if you're disconnected, how do you understand? How do you listen to each other? And so what we're seeing as these, these relationships where love is supposed to be so present, we're seeing in marriage, in family, with co-work, in friendships, in coworkers, in church, in neighbors, we're, we're seeing conflict all across the board. I, I was listening to a podcast this week and it was talking about work conflict. And it says uh, the average employee, uh, especially in a management position, spends 25 to 40% of their work week dealing with conflict or unresolved issues. Because it's always festering, it's always there. See, but here's what we need to see in coming to this scripture. This is what Paul's gonna help us understand. You guys, the key to healthy relationships is not an absence of conflict. The key to healthy relationships is learning to navigate conflict in a healthy way. And, and so we're all facing it right now. And like, I, I hate to break it to you, but like just ignoring it until December 26th, getting through the holidays, it, is not gonna resolve it. It's not gonna magically, oh, I'm glad 20, 2021's over. Remember when we were saying that? Good riddance, 2020, bring on 2021. And then you're like, never mind, go back. Like, go back, simpler times, right? Like, you're not gonna get to the new year and like, man, that, that stuff just disappeared. Like, no, it festers. And so we wanna look at Paul's teachings as he walks us through what it looks like to be a community that follows Jesus and in everything, including situations and circumstances where we disagree around ideas and it leads to offense around people. And so uh, turn over to Romans 14. We're going to pick up in verse 1. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. 
for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, I want to give a little bit of cultural context here um, that I think is important because um, what we're seeing is we're seeing a principle at work here. And, and I want to be careful to not say, okay, hey, we're going to take this situation and, and Paul's teaching on this and we're going to apply it to everything. Because the truth is um, there, are certain, um, there are certain areas, certain conflicts that need to be called out. And, and you need to actually like, no, 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 you go to war over these things. And then there's areas where he calls the church to unify. And let, let me explain and kind of it'll, it'll make sense when I kind of go through these. First, like when when there's a disagreement around foundational doctrine, uh, you need to call that out. No, 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 no. It's not just like, hey, you everybody believes whatever they want to about Jesus, right? No, no, that, that is a crucial crucial issue that actually has to be called out. Um, and, and we say, no, no, we, we clarify over that. If you're like, hey, you know, actually, you know, Jesus isn't God. You're like, okay, that's a different religion. <laughs> that, is, that is not, hey, let's all just unify and get along. Like, no, that's kind of the thing. Like, that is what all of life and salvation is built upon. Second, a false teaching. False teachers, and, and when they, t- they teach a false gospel, a prosperity gospel, or they even add to the gospel, we see Paul doing this constantly. Um, you know, one, one of the debates of the days was around this, uh, for Paul and, and, and Jews, was around circumcision. And, and, and people would come to Jesus, and they would get baptized, and they're like, sweet, now time for a surgery, right? And Paul's like, well, like, hang on, you're adding to the gospel, you're saying that people are not saved unless they do this. And he's constantly calling those kind of things out. And so if there's a false teaching, you don't just say, hey, unity matters. Like, let's just all put our arms around each other and let's unify. No, like, you need to call that out. And you need to go to battle over that. And then lastly, clearly stated sin. You don't just say, hey, you know, the Bible calls us to this. But I disagree because of my lifestyle, and so we just need to, the Bible also calls us to unity, and so let's just unify. Like, no, what, what Paul is talking and what he's constantly moving towards is this idea of unity around uh, debated theologies. And when I say debated theologies, I mean secondary, tertiary, not foundational and not clearly stated sin, but usually theologies that have like some dead guy's name attached to it, that's when you know it's a deb- debated theology, okay? And it's okay to say, no, this was eye-opening to me, and this was crucial, but like you don't divide with a brother in Christ over things like dispensationalism and Calvinism and you know egalitarianism, okay? Like, and if you don't know what those things mean, like just praise Jesus and keep worshiping him, right? <laughs> Like, because those are not things Jesus talked about, so just read your Bible and go back at it, right? So, like, you don't, you don't divide over that. Yes, there's people who are passionate studying those things. Wonderful. But if there's good, healthy uh, churches and, and church founding fathers that, that teach different opposing views, that means we should not, uh, we should not, we should not um, divide over those things. We actually need to unify in those. A uh, second category is actually Christian freedom. And there's a lot of that. And this is kind of specifically what Paul's going to address in this passage. But this is things like food and drink and mu- music and movies and, and what we wear. Like, you know, there's some of you that are like, you guys, like, I love the Lord, so I'm not going to wear a hoodie in church. And there's other of you with weaker faith that wear a hoodie in church. That's okay. <laughs> we're, we're all right with that, right? 
but these are not things we divide over. You can just look down upon that person and know they need the grace of God. Uh, and then lastly, uh, uh, pr- preference and methodology. Uh, and so, look, different churches operate in different ways. And, and that's good. And, and that's, that's beautiful. We are called to be a church. Rice Study Church is a church. We are not the church. And it's okay that different churches do things and operate in different ways. Like, like we actually should be unified with, with our brothers and sisters in Christ that go to other churches that operate in different ways. You know, I mean, there's churches that are like, you could, you're only a real church if you only have one service. You know, you can't have multiple services. And so which I'm just like, sweet, you can come to the one 930 service. Like, that's perfect. <laughs> Unite with us in that, brother, you know? And so we, but we don't divide around these things. And, and Paul, again, it's a principle. In, in 14.2, he says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. And then verse 5, he says, one person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. What he's getting at is he, he's saying, hey, there's a principle at work here that, that we need to take some truth from and learn from, and it's going to apply to more than just food and what day of the week you gather as a church. And this is where I want to go. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Okay, what leads to conflict? What builds up conflict? It's a lack of understanding of another person's life. We do not listen. We do not know them. And an abundance of pride in our own opinions. We think we are right and we think they're dumb. And we treat them accordingly, and it creates division. And so looking at Paul's teaching, what's the first thing we need in the midst of conflict? We need to embody humble curiosity, that we would be people who listen, that we would be people who say, whoa, 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 why? Why is your life Why is your decision? Why do you understand? Because because we can learn and we can grow so much from other people. Here's what's crazy. He says in in verse one, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. You know what's amazing? Whenever I have an opinion that differs from somebody else and I think about this passage, isn't it funny how that person is always the one who has weak faith? (laughs) Am I right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I have strong faith, therefore I do this. You have weak faith, therefore you do that. And, and like, take any subject right now. And, like, wherever you stand on it, you're the one with strong faith, and the other is the one, uh, you know, with weak faith. Okay, so, like, those of you guys who are like, I am, like, I hate wearing masks, and I'm never going to wear a mask. You look at others wearing them, and you're like, ah, like, come on, faith over fear. Like, stop obeying Queen Kate. Like, what are you doing, you weaker brother, right? Like, what's happening? And then the ones who are like, no, this is actually a good decision for us as a society are walking around and looking people, you know, walking around Fred Meyer, like, really? Yeah, you're, you're so strong and brave. Yeah, you couldn't even get an avocado without wearing a mask for three minutes. Good for you. You're the weaker brother. Like, we look at people. You guys didn't, you weren't laughing as much on that one, right? <laughs> I told you, by the end of this sermon, you're all going to hate me, but that's okay, because the church ain't built on me. It's on Jesus. We like him, okay? So here's the thing. What he, well, here's what he says. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Is that a word for today? You better believe it is. 
Man, we, we, there's some blanks there that we could fill in. Am I right? Like, like what is it? Like, what, what's the issue? Like, and here's the thing. Like, like, I don't want, like, Instagram filtering this whole sermon, so I'm just going to use some emojis, and you can, uh, you can interpret, you know, h- how you want, right? Because they're like, what is, what? I don't even know what's happening, okay? Let not the one, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Paul's saying things, okay? Or, or, you know, maybe, like, anybody listening to this podcast is like, I don't know what's happening. Come to church. Join us, okay? <laughs> uh, or, or, or maybe, uh, you know, maybe others, like, you know, hey, you know, where are you at? Or, like, you guys want to get really personal? Like, you want to, okay? Like, here we go. Okay, little, I know this one's too far, you know, okay? But I went there on a Sunday, okay? I didn't say it. Paul said it, plus, you know, Steve Jobs emojis, so we're good. Okay, but, but here's, here's the principle that we need to walk away with. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to to make him stand. See, humility is the posture we need because it's a posture that helps us through conflict because it says, look, I'm not their Lord. I do not have the final say, and I am not always right. Man, humility, it's such a beautiful characteristic. Am I right? Like, like when you meet a truly humble person, it, 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 it brings healing and hope to relationships. It's this virtue that we just admire in others. Like unlike pompous people, the humble, they're, they're a breath of fresh air, are they not? Unlike approval junkies, the humble, they're, they're low maintenance and they're, they're approachable. They're not perfect, but they're kind, modest, agreeable, respectful, differential in nature. They treat others as being more significant than themselves. Best of all, you, you, you never sense that a humble person wants to be your rival. They aren't the type that's always trying to put you in their place. There, there's a humility there that's beautiful. Uh, even when they disagree, you get this sense like, how come you disagree, but I feel like you're in my corner right now? Like, I, I feel like you come, you're coming around me and you're understanding me. They respect your dignity. They will never disparage your dignity or reputation. And they won't even do it with other people. They will not pile on. When others are speaking ill or negative about, negatively about you, they possess an inner, solid inner core and are amongst the most secure, emotionally healthy people in the world. They make you want to be a better human being. They seem to call you to higher ground. You know why this is? Because when, when, when Paul is writing to the, the church at Philippi, he says, be like Jesus, because Jesus was humble. This is how he walked. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of conflict, like we need to stop just wrestling over how right we are. And we need to say, what is my posture? And it needs to be one of humility like Jesus and curiosity because I actually want to understand those around me. And it brings about a beautiful understanding. This is why Paul is calling out our judgment. Because when you judge, you seek superiority over others. And that's what we're constantly doing. But when you seek to understand, you declare Jesus' authority over their life and yours. You're saying, no, no, Jesus is king. And I need to stop putting myself in that place. These are debatable issues. You know what's so crazy about that chart I showed earlier? Where it says, hey, here's the things you go to war over. And here's the things that you divide over. Or, or sorry, 
here's the things you go to war over and here's the things you unify over. What are we dividing over? It's all the things we're called to unify over. Am I right? Like that, people are not leaving churches because, wow, you're not teaching Jesus anymore. People are leaving churches because they disagree with how they're operating, because they disagree about, you know, about a family member's personal decision, and, and it's ripping us apart. And so we need to be a people who walk through these things in, in a beautiful, humble way. Would we actually ask these deeper questions? And continues on in Romans 13, Romans 14, 13, he says this, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I, and am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved, By what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men, so then... Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Here's here's the next thing we have to do is we have to take the initiative to pursue peace. Uh, We need to be the ones who go after. It's interesting in this section, um, Paul makes this argument, and what he says, he goes, hey, I'm writing to you, and I need you to know you're right. In verse 14, what, what does he say? He says, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in, its up, in itself, but is unclean if anyone wants to think it's unclean. He's like, so, so you're getting all upset because people are calling this food that has been sacrificed to idols and they're saying, I'm not going to eat it, but there's people who are starving and they're trying to feed their kids and they know they have freedom in Christ. And so there's this, this battle and there's this wrestling and there's this debate. And Paul says, hey, you're right. I actually agree with you. And, and what are we hearing about today, left and right? Man, we are hearing about our rights constantly. No, this is the right that I have. This is the right in my decision. This is the right how I offer, operate. I have the right to. I have the right to not be forced to. I have the freedom to. Like, or, or I've done my research and I'm right and you're or constantly. Let me just say it. Like, like, maybe this will help you to hear. Like, you're right. You are, like, take a bow, you are correct, you are right. That's what Paul's saying. But here's what he follows up with. Your unalienable rights surrender to your kingdom responsibilities. You may be right in the argument. You may have done your research. You may know where you stand, you may know the laws, but are you following the way of Jesus and how you do it? Because if you're dividing and separating and not having relationship with people in church or in your family or lifelong friendships over it, are you going about it in the right way? Absolutely not. Because your unalienable rights surrender to your kingdom responsibilities. And look at this passage. What did he, he lays out our kingdom responsibilities. That we would lay down our rights in order to not hinder a brother. 
that we would walk in love towards brothers and sisters, that we would live righteously, peaceably, and with joy, and that we would pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. You think about this right now. Like in a world that is tearing itself apart, like what a testimony the church can be if we would be a church that says, no, 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 no. No, I love my brother, and I love my enemy, and I love people who I disagree with, and I love people who vote differently than me, and I love people who make different medical decisions that I do, and I don't care what you say, I'm going to love them regardless, and I'm going to ask questions about their story, and I'm going to work through conflict, and I'm going to pursue peace. Man, this is what Jesus is calling us to as followers. And so, like, we are seeing a lot of conflict right now in our personal lives we're experiencing. So, so I just want to walk through some, some wisdom for you. Uh, I'm going to call these conflict pro tips, right? Okay, so if you're in conflict, like, man, these are some ways that you should approach. First, um, you take the initiative, right? What, what are we all waiting for? Well, they're the one who was so offensive, right? Or they're the one who was so offended. Like, they can come to, no, 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 no. you take the initiative. What, what does he say? What does Paul say there? He says, so then let us pursue, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. What do we do with conflict? We avoid, right? We ignore. Nope. Hey, like, I want to actually pursue this person. And, and, and let me just, like, share, like, a marriage tip right here. You, you are in conflict, husband, as, as the one who's called to lay his life down in, in the act of Jesus, you need to pursue your wife in those moments, like, so often, as husbands, we're the ones who are, uh, you know, um, emotionally more disconnected. And so we're just like, man, if I could just, like, ignore this till tomorrow, I know she's going to be so stressed tomorrow about all the other things she's dealing with, and she won't even bring it up. It's going to be amazing, right? And then let that fester for 25 years. Good luck, okay? <laughs> oh, man, like, pursue your wives. Say, say, I was wrong. Say, help, be humble, Say, help me to understand what's going on. Christian, who is in conflict with a coworker or a family member, you take the initiative and pursue peace. Second, a flesh over digital. And here's what I mean by this. It's so easy to deal with conflict over email, over text message, because you don't have to see that person face-to-face. -face. You ever notice how brave we are when we have an object in front of us? You know what I'm saying? Like, you're in the grocery store, you're a little bit more brave when you have that shopping cart in front of you. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, or you have this, like, 4,000-pound vehicle around you. All of a sudden, you're, like, the bravest person in the world. Like, the things you say to other people, right? You're like, oh, yeah, you're yelling at them, like, giving them, you know, like, thumbs up or whatever you do out the window, right? Like, <laughs> but, like, face-to-face... You're like, oh, I totally forgot. That's a human. That's like a person with like dignity and emotions and feelings. And so uh, when you're dealing with conflict, do like worst case scenario, worst way to deal with it is email or text message. Why? Because things that are nuanced are often misread in the worst way possible, are they not? 
right? So they're like, hey, sorry, I'm not going to make it. You know, and you read it like, <laughs> sorry, not going to make it. And you're like, that was rude. Like, maybe that's just me. Sorry. <laughs> Don't text me. Okay. Uh, but to actually deal with things in person. And I get that that might be harder in some ways uh, now th- than other times, but like pursue it. Like the best way to deal with hard conversations is face-to-face. Uh, the second best way to deal with hard conversations is something like uh, FaceTime where you can see, their, you can see emotion, you can communicate. And, and, and the third best way is voice-to-voice. Like at least call them. And then you can have a conversation back and forth. See, when it's email or it's text message or it's written, then, then, you're, then one person is just dictating what's being said and, and, and the other person it has no context or, or nuance to it. And so pursue flesh over digital. Like some of you guys are like, man, I got some conflict right now. I'm just going to send a text. I, I'm not saying don't send a text message. Hey, let's meet. Like that's great. But don't deal with it over a digital form. Third, uh, be clear but not cutting. You know what I'm saying? Where you're like, yeah, you're just like your father, you know, or, what, or, or whatever phrase may be, where you're trying to get a point across, and so you cut them down, you belittle them, you get after them, like, oh, you've always been this way. Like these cutting remarks, why do you do that? Because you're, you're trying to win an argument. You're trying to win a conflict. Now, but you need to fight for clarity. Don't be vague. Don't be ambiguous. And, and, and honestly, don't even hold back truth. If you're really hurt by what somebody did, explain clearly why you're hurt, why that was offensive, why that's created mistrust. But don't be cutting in the way that you do it. Oftentimes we're cutting uh, in our remarks because we're trying to help people understand just how hurt we are. But in the midst of doing so, we're hurting them. So clear, not cutting. Fourth, fight for we over me. And this is huge. Like, ask yourself, like, what do I want at the end of this conflict? And what you should want is for you and that person to have a better relationship going forward. And if you approach it that way, you're going to actually listen to their wounds. You're going to listen to their perspective. You're going to try to draw things out in their heart and their opinion and who they are. But if all you're trying to do is win, like, you're going to have a problem. Like, so go into every argument, whether it be with a spouse, a friend, a roommate, a coworker, a neighbor, saying, hey, I'm going to fight for we. I'm going to fight for this person as much as I'm fighting for myself to understand so that we can move forward because the goal has to be a better relationship, not a one argument. And lastly, and, and I think this is an important caveat, is... Um, boundaries are the key when it comes to bullies and victims. So this is the one caveat is, oh, hey, okay, I need to work through this conflict and I'm going to initiate and I'm going to do it in person and I want to be clear and I want to fight for we. But if that person is a bully towards you, and what I mean by that is somebody who doesn't care about you and will use intimidation and manipulation to make you feel bad or scared or get what they want, like your key there is actually healthy boundaries and how to put those in place, or, or victims. And I, I want to be careful using this word because there are real victims. But then there's people who play the victim. 
And, and here's how you know when somebody is playing the victim. When they say, I'm cold, which you wouldn't say in this room because it's very warm right now. But they say, I'm cold, and you say, here's a jacket, and they say, it's too big. Take that to any category, and, and, and there is something wrong. Hey, hey, we just, like, you don't pursue me enough, right? You don't pursue our friendship, and then you do, and they're like, yeah, well, it took till Thursday. That's somebody who's playing the victim, and they're going to per- perpetually play the victim. And so in those moments, what's most healthy for you and them is actually boundaries. Now, that's like a, like a whole nother sermon, right? Um, but, but I need you to understand that as we're dealing with conflict. And this is kind of where Paul ends up. And this is, this is the verse I just want to end with. It's, it's verse 20. He says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. He, he's very intentional in what he's saying here, am I right? They're like, food? Like, food is meaningless. Like, who cares about the ins and outs of these things compared to the work of God? And, and, and again, these are principles, and so here, what do we need to take away? Do not, for the sake of you fill in the blank, destroy the work of God. Like, like think about what God has done in your family. Like, think about the moments and the memories. Yes, there's hardships, but, but God has brought you to a place. And really, like, for the sake of, of what? You're going to destroy God's work? Think about your marriage. Think about, think about that best friend that you've been friends with for decades. And all of a sudden, now you have this disagreement over this issue. Because they say you have to do it this way, and you're like, no, I have to do it this way. Are you really... For the sake of that issue, going to destroy the work of God? This is what Paul is arguing. And this is why as a church, man, we are going to be united. And we're not going to be united around uh, how you respond to a disease. We're not going to be united around politics. We're not going to be united around worship styles. We're not going to be united uh, around medication. We're not going to be united around opinions and perspectives. We are united around the work of God through Jesus Christ on the cross and resurrection. Amen? And so therefore, nothing will divide us that is outside of the person of Jesus. It will not separate it will not break us. Like, the work of God in this church is amazing. Like, I, like, the story of what has happened. Like, I walked unsuspectingly into a coffee shop one day. I met Stacy, and she's standing on the other side, and I walked out of there, and God just said, like, you're going to plant a church with that family. And I don't have, the, I grew up Baptist. We don't even believe in the Holy Spirit as a Baptist, right? Sorry, that's a little harsh, okay? <laughs> I won't say that in the next service. You can come back, right? But, but like, I was just like, Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Like, so I had this moment where I'm like, like, what is happening in me? 
And then all of a sudden, like step after step after step, it was like I found myself sitting in a living room figuring out the name of what this church is. And we had no idea, we had no idea what we were doing. Like seriously, like, like the, the second Sunday, like it was daylight savings. And so the doors were locked for an extra hour. And we got in like 10 minutes before the service. We're like, well, I guess we're just doing, we, like we had literally had no idea. Yet we outgrew that building in six months. And you see, it's not the preaching, right? (laughs) It's the work of God. And then so we started meeting at Mountain View on Sunday nights, and people are like, you can't do Sunday night church. And they're like, well, we're running out of room, so we're doing multiple Sunday night churches. And like, ah, like, ah, man, like people, this is Pacific Northwest, people don't get saved. And we've had the question, should we buy like a second baptismal? Because there's times where we do baptisms and like the worship team like has to play that song for way too long. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that? That's the work of God. We, like, even this building. In 1975, a Christian family came along and bought this plot of land because they thought the purpose of it was roller skates, disco balls, and candy. It was just sitting and waiting because God had a purpose for this space for all eternity marked out. It was that his, the people of God would meet here. And we, we were supposed to open like March 22nd, 2020. It was going to be with this great plan. It was awesome, right? And then the world shut down that week and we're like, what do we do? And as churches have been scrambling to figure out where to meet and how to operate and how to get people back in, like our church has basically doubled in every metric over the last two years. Like, like God is moving That's not our work, that's not our strategy, that is the hand and the grace of God. And so we will not be a church that divides over meaningless garbage. We are a church that is bought by the blood of Jesus. We are built by the Holy Spirit and we will live for his name and his glory for all eternity. D.A. Carson puts it like this, the church itself is made up of natural Friends. It's not made up of natural friends, people who just get along. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been loved by Jesus himself. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus's sake. Jesus, as your church, would we live out your call to be united by your blood, to find our commonality in your grace? And as a world is tearing itself apart, would we be peacemakers? Would we passionately pursue those around us? I'm not trying to convince them of ideas or politics or strategies, but convincing them of the way of your son, one that brings peace and hope and love. Jesus, would you move in our church? Would you, I pray in your name, would you protect our church from anything that may come? When we walk through those doors, yes, this is just a building, but this is your gathered people. Would we experience your Holy Spirit 
an awareness of your presence in a powerful way? Would we look around and be like, there is something different when we gather together here. And it is your, pay, your peace and your grace and your unity. And as we come to the cross, would we remember that the ground is level? There is no hierarchy. There is no one above another. And so would we be people who walk through conflict and trials and sufferings and disconnection in a way that brings peace and unity to all we encounter. We pray this in your name. Amen.